a lot of times police officers with as much power as they have. Again, I've never been a police officer. I don't know. I'm just speaking on what I've heard. Having gone through the type of at, at certain levels, having gone through the type of training that they should. And they don't see that them knowing their community can be a life and death situation. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr. And I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. Welcome back to another episode of Humanize. This is going to be just me and Courtney today. We're going to spend some time reflecting on Katrina's amazing work that she's doing with her film. This is not who we are. Um, we'd highly recommend that you listen to her episode and check out her trailer, which is on our Facebook page. You can find that at the Humanized Podcast uh, at Facebook, and that's our handle across all of social media, as well as her GoFundMe um, for that film. So highly recommend that you check that out. But today, as we start off, is if you can't already tell from the tone of my voice, it's a pretty somber time for both Courtney and I. Uh, just in the past week, we've both had a mass shooting in our hometowns. So the mass shooting of a spa in Atlanta, where Courtney is from, and then just yesterday afternoon here in Boulder, Colorado, a mass shooting at a supermarket. So we're just trying to, you know, to sit with that and get real with that and understand, you know, what that means immediately, as well as in the context of the politics in this country and, and what's going on and um, freedom and liberation, both from a safety standpoint and a mental standpoint. So that's where we're going to start off today. Courtney, how are you feeling going into this conversation? <laughs> so very somber, um, realizing how important this this work that both of us do individually and together. You know, um, mm-hmm. you are you're coming into understanding more about privilege, your privilege, um, fighting for your daughters and your family. I'm validating and coming into more and more understanding as to why I'm here on this earth, you know, and it, it feels good and horrible at the same time because that saying mm-hmm. that ignorance is bliss is a, um, is a true statement. You know, when you don't know, mm-hmm. when you don't know better, everything is great. Um, when you start mm-hmm. to gain some understanding and perspective, you see everything that has to be done. And from my perspective, as a, as a black man in this country, I'm getting to a place more and more that I know that progression and working towards understanding of, of all cultures is is a life and death situation. And so it's very, just to think a couple of days ago, um, we were talking about the our um, Asian American um, brothers and sisters that um, died. And today we're talking about individuals that, that died because of a mass shooting. 
Um, and um, not all not all the details are out with um, concerns to Colorado, but I can if I, if I was gambling on what happened, it's something is going on with some kind of insecurity, some kind of hate, some kind of um, mental health um, situation. And and again, see, this is what the, if you're talking about. And I'm gonna leave, let you go because I have something to say about police, and I'm just getting not excited, but I, I want to. I have something on my chest to say about what I think and where I think this conversation is going. So uh, let's, yeah. let's, let's, yeah, let's get it. Yeah. So when I, when I sat down, I mean, I can tell you my, a bit about my experience yesterday. I was out, like we're just starting to <laughs> leave the house basically, you know, with COVID and I have a, a three and five year old daughter. And just a couple of weeks ago, we're like, okay, we got to get them swim lessons. And for me, swim lessons is all about safety, you know, like I'm just so anxious for my kids. Like, you know, can I get them safer around water? Yeah. You'll notice an ongoing undercurrent of anxiety. (laughs) That's part of me. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm out there and then I get leaving. This was like at, you know, three 30 yesterday afternoon and I'm checking out of these, these lessons and I get a call from my husband and and then I get another call from the husband and I was just kind of trying to ignore it, but he doesn't usually call twice. So I, I pick up and I pick up on my Apple watch phone. So I'm like at the front desk and he's like, am I on speaker in front of the kids in front? Of, I'm like, yeah, he's like, just something's happening in Boulder. Just look at your phone. And so I look at my phone and see that, you know, just a couple miles away, there's an active shooter at that point. We have no idea what's going on. And, um, I don't, I don't have many times in my life where like that kind of violence is so close to me. Like I, you know, that I am able to choose to live in, in towns and in situations and afford to live in towns and situations where that doesn't, that doesn't happen. Um, It's been obviously mass shootings are on my mind as my daughter starts at uh, kindergarten next year and schools are just, you know, you have to go through metal detectors these days and get, you know, like it's, it's scary even visiting the schools here in the States, but um, yeah. So it was pretty new territory and just kind of like buck up and put on a happy face for the kids and, and went directly home. And then as the day unfolds, you know, checking in individually with a lot of different friends, like, are you okay? Are you safe? Are you okay? Are you safe? Okay. This friend is sheltering in place and this friend is here. And is anyone talking to their kids? And as I checked in with my friends who were close to this grocery store, I could feel at that moment, you know, like this kind of deep pit of confidence in my stomach of like, the police are going to handle it. And, you know, as we were talking with Katrina last week, one of her prompts and questions that we discussed was like, what is... What is each of our relationship with the police? And here's a little clip of of what we said about that. It brings up a situation that I was in with my children, the car line at their school. Sometimes when you're in that line, you're double parked against other cars that are parked on the street as you're moving ahead in the line. And there was a day the police officer was watching all of us do this, uh, you know, move forward and kind of double park. He gets out of his car and comes to me of all the parents and says, you're double parked right now. This is illegal. You need to move. 
And I say, well, this is the procedure that we're supposed to follow for the school. These were the instructions we were given for the pickup line. He's like, well, what you're doing is illegal. And I said, you have to move. And he starts pointing at me. In my mind, this is where my mind goes. I think about Sandra Bland. And I think about how something so innocent could turn into me getting arrested there at my children's school. And okay, all right. I get my car and I go all the way to the back of the line and I'm watching and I see the cop approach another car. And it was a a white mother that was in front of me. And I see them talking and they're actually talking back and forth, roll down my window. And I hear her say a lot of the things that I said, this is a procedure of the school. This is what we're supposed to do. Well, you need to talk to the school then saying things that I probably would never find myself saying. And he walked away and she stayed where she was in the line. And I wish that I, in some aspects, were the person to have him walk away, to stand up and say whatever the right words to make him walk away and to understand that I belonged there. But um, I was afraid because I'm there to pick up my children and I don't Mm -hmm. want to create a scene for them or for myself. I don't want to end up a victim. And these are things that I think about. Even when I'm driving down the street, I'm not speeding, but I see a cop car. I'm still like, slow down anyway, just do the check. And I told this to Zaid that I was a very very moved by what he did. And I think he's a hero because there's, I feel like, like I couldn't in that situation, but the fact that he did, and he said, he told me he was just, hey, he's basically fed up, fed up and, and felt like mm. he needed to. And he, he doesn't have those things like the children and all that stuff. And so it was his time to do that, which makes sense. And I wonder how, what your relationship Courtney and Emily with the police has been, or if you've ever found yourself in situations like this, or just, you know, what that clip brings up for you. So when I answered her question, you know, I honestly haven't had a lot of situations where I had to figure out how I feel about the police, which again, Mm -hmm. is another privilege and security that my privilege has. But I could just feel this confidence yesterday that they were going to take care of it. And it's always interesting to feel like what my body feels, which is like it's confidence versus my head, which is like, they don't seem very competent when I see, (laughs) you know, like all the information is coming out about different places where the police were undertrained and they didn't respond appropriately. But it's a very, just a strange moment to be in an American society, you know, basically having to do I just have to be confident in them because there's really nothing else to hope for? They seem to do a fine job, even though criticisms are coming out. There's really very little information otherwise than 10 people were killed, including a police officer. So yeah, that's how things are kind of unfolding for me. Lots of, lots of questions and lots of anxiety and the thing around the cops are interesting we 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 host a a podcast named humanize because we 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 are working to to do just that to a lot of topics and when we're talking about police police reform mass incarceration all of these other topics around governing law enforcement and law enforcement officers you have to understand that at the core they're humans they're they're people they're individuals that have been tasked with protecting people they do not know. Sometimes that means that 
the people that they don't know look like them so they can make assumptions. Sometimes it, they're tasked with protecting people that don't look like them, and those are other assumptions. And where you live also dictates how you are protected too, you know? And so individuals that live in, in Compton has, are going, may, may have a different relationship with the police because not all police may understand poverty at, at the level that individuals that they're policing are going through it versus police officers in Boulder, you know, because the police officer may be a community member that interacts with you and your daughters, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh yeah, I know Emily. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to protect because I know where right. she comes from. You come from certain different situations. And so when individuals ask what kind of relationship I have with the police officers, I always answer or I think about a lot. They are humans. They are people. They are flawed and they are doing their best with the information that they have or have chosen to obtain. The better question or the better situation should be police officers should be mandated to understand the community that they're in, to look at the demographics that they serve and make a choice whether they're equipped mentally and physically to serve in that capacity because mm-hmm. there, there are not too many jobs. Like if you're not fit to be a lawyer, you know, and then you get another job. If you're not fit to be a doctor, you know, and you get another job. A lot of times mm-hmm. police officers with as much power as they have. Again, I've never been a police officer. I don't know. I'm just speaking on what I've heard. Haven't gone through the type of, at, at certain levels, haven't gone through the type of training that they should. And they don't see that them knowing their community can be a life and death situation. Absolutely. You know? And so they, they they go into it. I got a gun. I can't protect. It's just a job. It's not just a job. You mm-hmm. know, it's it, it has to become a lifestyle. You being a mm-hmm. police officer has to be a lifestyle. And when it does, when you change that perspective, now police and communities and less people will say, fuck the police, because then you will feel as though I can't say that. There are not too many people that say, fuck a doctor. Right. Right. <laughs> they, may, they, they may not like a doctor. Right. They may not, they may not trust them, the healthcare uh, as a whole, but they definitely say, you know what? I ain't going to take this vaccine. I don't trust the medical establishment. But if I get a bullet in my arm or if, I, if, if, if my mom is sick, I'm going to take them to a doctor. People will never, some, you don't call police officers mm-hmm. in, some, in some places in the country. Right. I don't care what's happening. You know, and so just the level of respect is not there because people feel as though, um, to me, a police officer is just as powerful or probably even more powerful than the jobs that get uh, marketed as very powerful jobs, like a lawyer, mm-hmm. entrepreneur, a doctor. They get marketed as very powerful, prestigious jobs. I think teachers and police officers are those kind of jobs that don't get deemed to be as important in, in today's society as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and that has to change. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, listening to you, I'm just, I'm wondering, well, I completely agree that, I mean, I, I feel like even better than having a police officer know the communities just be from the community. I don't think I've had a lot of people talk to me about like, the unconscious bias work that I do and the DEI work that we do. And I've, and they're like, you should work with cops. You should work with cops. And I'm like, I honestly feel skeptical about training cops because like in a moment of, 
of crisis in a mo- which cops are in all the time, you're relying on instinct. That instinct can be trained through 10,000 hours of training, but you're relying on unconscious bias. Like that is your asset in that situation because you have to work really quickly. If you think things through, you will probably be shot. And that's mm-hmm. what, you know, I talked to a friend of mine who's a, an army ranger about that I worked the work that I did years ago. And he's like, yeah, we could never do that because we could never do that kind of empathetic work because if you hesitate, you die. And it made me realize like, that's not a kind of training that we could pass off very easily. And I couldn't really train someone who lives in a a neighborhood where people, you know, like, let's say Boulder, where people are mostly wearing Patagonia, like layers, like I am right, right at this very moment. Um, and, you know, flannels and recondition their brain that hoodies are completely normal, safe style, like that there's no threat involved, that even though it's baggy, there's nothing being concealed necessarily. That is like a super, super, super unconscious process. And I feel like the only way that that is that would get trained into someone is for them to be from that area or live in that area. And I know that there has been success with like relocating police or police officers into an area. But honestly, a lot of them don't want to go to the areas that are really, you know, really rough. Yeah, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I, I think I just want to say you said something before that kind of called me um, conditioning. You know, mm-hmm. and people aren't born to hate. We 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 are conditioned to. You know, mm-hmm. a, a, a baby is not going to be born to hate the police. A community is not going to be born to hate. You know, so we can just like we're trained and conditioned, we can be untrained and retrained. And so I don't agree with the ranger when he says we can't. You can learn to think fast and to think different. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because. You when when you first I I only go back to medicine because that's all I know, and when you and you're in hospital, mm-hmm. you are trained. Mm-hmm. You are trained. You are trained. You don't know anything about a heart, a brain. But in those situations when you have a skull open and a brain, and you can affect someone's life for the rest of their life, and you have to make a decision when you when you only have thirty seconds that uh, a body can be exposed to the environment before you close it back up again. So you have to make a decision, life and death yeah. for that situation. It almost is the same for police officers. Yet it's true. You see me in a hoodie and I'm walking up to you or you see a, 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 someone with a mental, going through a mental health crisis. You do mm-hmm. have to think really fast. Okay, do I shoot this person down or do I try to de-escalate the situation? You can be mm-hmm. taught, you can be trained to think like because it is a perspective. It is willing to say, I am afraid in that moment that I may die. And that's why I shoot and kill. So I need to learn and unlearn why I have a blind spot to, to a culture, to how individuals feel. I'm telling you, once you are mm-hmm. honest and vulnerable, if police officers honestly and, and came into a community ravaged with poverty, ravaged with crime, and had a conversation with those communities and humanize the people who had to make decisions that right. all of us don't have to make all the time. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, the marketing of police officers hating um, certain communities will start to change. I know mm-hmm. that. Because mm-hmm. whenever you humanize someone, now you can 
Damn. Because there's some there's some right. gangsters that have police officers in their family. Right. Right. So like I I don't I don't know. So DEI training yeah. across the board. Yeah. Well that's interesting. Like I totally agree with you. I think the transformative thing is is those those honest and authentic conversations, hearing someone else's story. I did have the thought pop up. I, I don't want to like go down this lane, but I'm like, well, then where does toxic masculinity play into this where people aren't uh, trained to show their emotions? You know, they're not encouraged mm-hmm. to be authentic and open and show pain when they feel it and show, you know, love when they feel it in terms of actually humanizing both themselves and other people's eyes and then other people in that process. But I do agree. And I just, I, you know, I told you recently I had a marketing call with someone and had been so many people want to like, give us the unconscious bias training, you know, like we want the unconscious bias training. And at this point I'm like, I mean, it's super interesting to understand, you know, the neuropathways and the neuroplasticity involved in unconscious bias, but understanding that in itself does very little, I feel. Because I mean, every day, every time we record this episode, I'm exposed to more unconscious bias and unconscious bias and unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, there it is again. There it is again. I can improve my relationship of seeing blind spots show up. I can, I can, I can do that more gracefully, but that doesn't actually change much in terms of my perception and my ability to, to, go through the world and interact, you know, split second decisions every day. And I do think that having those authentic conversations and humanizing people and having initiatives, you know, within organizations where you, mm-hmm. you hear everyone's story, you, you know, you bring in a, an expert that helps you tell your story. And then everyone from the janitor to the CEO to, you know, every single person is just telling their story. And that makes a difference and that could like in terms of you know working with community trust building that kind of humanizing work i feel like is way more impactful than just like oh let's understand our bias and and that's what i've just found and, and i mean this is just obviously i wasn't back in the days of slavery but religion and church and fellowship and congregation and storytelling uh, is mm-hmm. big in the black culture because again you humanize a struggle if everyone mm-hmm. is going through slavery together that means it's a collective band-aid you know it's a collective therapy session i'm singing with someone who was in the fields with me last week i'm telling the story about how this the slave master may have done this unspeakable thing the worst thing ever but we went through it together so that means we can right. we can we can live through it together stories are a very powerful powerful thing that changes the severity mentally i mean it could be something very severe but this is why media is so powerful because they yeah. can di- they can direct a story to either be really bad or not that serious, even mm-hmm. if the opposite is occurring. Because mm-hmm. people in communities of color have been going through um, traumas for generations now. You know, mm-hmm. it's just uh, as of late that DEI is sexy now, and and habit conversation right. is trending now. That it's like, oh, we got to talk about this. You know, but people mm-hmm. have people of color have been talking about what we're going through. And I assume that white people have 
been talking about it or probably not as much because it really doesn't affect, you know what I'm saying? So both mm-hmm. cultures have been doing what is going, what is safest for them. And it's just that now because of how it's highlighted with healthcare respects to COVID, with disparities with respects to COVID, with police brutality, with the with the um, protests last year. It's just everything has been a pressure cooker that's coming to point now. It's like, oh, let's, we got to talk about this. Okay. Right. Cool. Right. Yeah. yeah. When it's like brought to your doorstep, you know, yeah. like I yeah. imagine that obviously like gun control topics have been around a lot, but like now I'm curious, like what is it going to be like in, in Boulder after this, you know, did it change after the Aurora shootings, however many years ago? And yeah, it's bringing it to the doorstep, you know, which is in some ways it's really sad that it has to be brought to the doorstep to grab our attention in that way. But I guess that's just kind of... We don't look at mental illness as something that's just like, oh yeah, that's somebody crazy over there doing that. But you know, we've been locked up in a house for a year. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is a whole nother conversation with individuals of mass incarceration and, and 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 that like we've literally been isolated from other humans for a year. Everything's been on computer. We've tried to connect in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And so as quick as we're trying to go back to normal, individuals that already were possibly battling with mental illness may be in crisis right now. Right. You know, and so I, I, the conversation is gun control, you know, but just like the guy from Atlanta, he was saying how he had a, a sex addiction. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, I mean, that's an argument to be had there, you know, but it's not a coincidence that they were in the Asian community, you know, like you're going to pass so right. many opportunities to massacre individuals in the street and you're going to 20 something miles away from spa to spa to spa to commit heinous crimes on a mm-hmm. particular, like, could be, you know, like you could have mental illness towards an age, but anyway, mental illness is something that cannot be overlooked anymore, you know? It's, and Yeah, um, it's very true. And this is, I want to add a couple of tweets that I saw yesterday that I felt were very striking. Um, this guy, Scott M. Sedman on, on Twitter, he tweeted, suspect is middle-aged white male alive and in custody. And Lorazzo sucks responded with, didn't need to add the second sentence. We knew that after the first sentence, hashtag Boulder. The benefit of the doubt that white men get around mental illness and they're even as, you know, mass shooters are, are, are not shot themselves. <laughs> this narrative around, you know, mental illness versus terrorists and, and, you know, like it's, I, mean, I just feel go, so. <laughs> it, it, it's horrible. When you go to the, um, the insurrection at the Capitol, it, there are lawmakers that saying that wasn't insurrection. That wasn't inciting, you know, because mm-hmm. at any cost, we have to protect the individuals that this country was built to protect. Then you have all of the mass shootings in this country. And if it, when you talk about what comes to mind is the church in um, South Carolina, Charleston, I think it was when um, Dylan Roof went to the church and shot the parishioners right. after, you know, he was protected. 
you know, um, like there's no way that individuals of color could have gone anywhere with a machine gun and shot up individuals and, and given their due still. Right. There, there's no way that would have happened. I will say that, Let's, you know, I don't speak yeah. to, to I, I, I will gamble and, and say very confidently that that would not have happened. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in, because we're talking about storytelling, and I think, you know, Katrina's film is such an amazing example of really important storytelling around yeah. key topics, especially here in Boulder. And so I just wanted to bring in one more clip here where... We're talking about Zaid. Um, if you go and watch the trailer, you know who Zaid is. Um, he was in, in Boulder. He was a um, male of color. I'm not sure of his ethnicity. Who was held at gunpoint when he was just picking up trash outside of his dorm. And um, so this is part of the discussion we had around that. Zaid's a hero. And as, as far as I'm concerned, Zaid's a hero for... And it's just for standing up for himself, something as simple as that. So something about this discussion, I usually, you know, I had to sit with this for a while. This is why we do the deeper dive, you know, a week or two after we do the interview. Katrina Mm -hmm. describes Zaid as a hero, which was really particularly inspirational to me because she was speaking about, you know, speaking back to police, basically you know, holding, holding your ground. And as I sat with that, I can remember, you know, a couple of years ago when this happened here in Boulder and it was all over the news. And I watched the clips of him being held at gunpoint, you know, from the body cams. And I can remember like an anger of like, why didn't he sit down? Why didn't he comply? Like, you know, like a protectiveness of like, ah, like, ah, be quiet, you know, be quiet. And I now feel so disturbed by that. Be quiet, be quiet, you know, hearing her perception of him as a hero for not being quiet. And thank God, you know, that situation, he was not injured physically, I'm sure, quite much so psychologically. I'd just be curious to hear your response to that. A lot of things. We go, it always goes back to safety. And again, a lot of individuals are feel as though we should know better. We should understand. We should protect the police so they can protect us. The police knows best. Mm-hmm. If they say, hey, shut up, they're doing it for our greatest good. And if we get shot, it is a lot of times, why didn't you shut up? You know, mm-hmm. communities of color. Uh, a lot of times we're put in situations that we have to make decisions that are not in our best interest for the now. We have to live in the now. We don't have the the luxury of time. We don't have the luxury of tomorrow. We have to live right now. And so we have to think about creative, fast ways either to make money, to survive, to take care of our families. And nine times out of 10, because of the socioeconomic um, conditions that have been superimposed upon us, they're illegal. Those those things are illegal mm. because mm-hmm. illegal illegalities pay. That's just the reality, you know. Mm-hmm. If I'm not thinking about going to college, 
when I have to like think about uh, my son, my daughter, my brother not eating at home at night, not wearing diapers. We have to live in rat-infested buildings um, because of um, then we have to go to school that's subpar. Then you have to deal with redlining, a housing crisis, all of these mm. extra things that are put on us. And then we see a community of police officers that are telling us, stop doing those crimes. No. Mm-hmm. Why don't you come live in the situ- in the conditions that were created for us and then without any options and then tell me what you would do to protect your family? Mm-hmm. Please, mm-hmm. please, please let me know that. Those are the kind of conversations that we should have because it's bigger mm-hmm. than our police. It's bigger than a police department. It's a systemic mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Like. Police only enforce laws that exist based on government. And so mm-hmm. while a senator or a congressman or woman are at home sleeping in a curated community that's safe, they've created laws that have to be taken, uh, have to be carried out by the law enforcement officer. So whether or not a law enforcement officer believes in the law, he has to arrest he has to, because he also has a family he has to think about. Mm-hmm. These are the things that I have to think about. Like when he pulls up at a, to a car filled with black men and the car filled with black men, I have been conditioned to say, yo, I'm about to fucking kill this police officer. If he said something wrong to me. The officer knows that. So now he's put in a position where I kissed my wife last night. I kissed my daughter or son last night. I want to see them in the morning. I have to go home. And they have the power to do it because they have the backing of government that even if I kill this black man, nine times out of 10, I'm going to get off. That's a very scary, powerful position to be in without a lack of understanding and appreciation for that power. So all of those things come up up for me when people say, oh, Zay should have stopped talking. You can't, first off, you can't tell Zay what he should should and shouldn't do because he's a free man. Right. Right. You know? And also the police officer should not make assumptions that he is not living there and show oh, yeah. the, the power that he has because he has not only a gun, but the right to execute you and walk away and go home at night and sleep in his bed mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. a person with a gun, an open carry who is licensed may not have that same right to shoot you and self-defense and may not have the right to sleep in his own bed while we figure out if he's guilty or innocent. Mm-hmm. There's a mm-hmm. lot that goes on that I think is, it's, it's a level of responsibility that I think law enforcement need to be aware of and appreciate because just like I always go back to medicine. There's a level of responsibility that a doctor has with every interaction with the patient. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they are both humans. I am a human, you're a human. But when you come to me, there's a body of knowledge that I have that you may not have because that's not what you're trained in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if I tell you to drink to drink gasoline, you will know that, man, gasoline, is it may kill me. I don't think gasoline is something that should go in my body. But you actually think about drinking gasoline because of the body of information that you assume that I have, like maybe there's a study that came out that there's some healing properties of gasoline that I don't know about and I'm drinking and give it to my kids. And that's why doctors get sued. 
Mm-hmm. That's why you cannot practice medicine unless you practice medicine. You know, so it's a mm-hmm. lot of. So yeah. if you if you practice law enforcement, you need to be held accountable for walking around with that much power. Mm-hmm. So that's how I feel. Yeah, about that. yeah. It's uh, you know, one there are many things that that jump off from what you said, but one thing was if an officer is pointing a gun at you, you can assume like the way that things are set up is that we're asked to assume that they are doing that for the greater good. And that really resonates with that kind of that confidence that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode of like, Mm -hmm. they're doing their best for the greater good. And I think my reaction, if I was in Zaid's position would be very different if I did not have that confidence of the greater good. And I don't know what, you know, I I think of the COVID vaccine and and skepticism of the the vaccine, especially from communities of color who are like, why would we trust that you're giving us a vaccine? Like, why would we possibly trust that? We have no data. There's healthcare system, like the, you know, black maternal death rate in, in labor is so high and there are all these past you know experimental studies that were done on people of color and the system of inequity mm-hmm. like why would you trust that and that that sense of confidence of the greater good like that really directs people's response it would direct my response in that in that situation you you brought something to my mind confidence is is huge you know and and both communities of color and police officers have a lot of work to rebuild confidence there are mm-hmm. some things that communities of colors need to do and stop following trends you know when you used to talk about back in the day nwa saying fuck the police and now mm-hmm. whole culture is who don't understand the backstory to fuck the police you know because during that time in la the police were on their necks, you know, and figuratively, like on their necks, like doing things to quote, fill quotas and things like that. And so hip hop is a representation of the present day. However, it is to be pushed, it is to be challenged. It is like, how are our lives going to be better? Or are we going to continue to live in a world that says, fuck the police? Because there mm-hmm. are people of color who have police officers in their family who would appreciate them coming home every night you know mm-hmm. so people of people of color need to say you know what enough is enough we need to have sit downs we need to understand we need to tell our story from our perspective and so that we can lead to a more equitable situation and a, and a better relationship between the police and communities of color now mm-hmm. law enforcement needs to be open to to say i am fearful i do have blind spots Let's talk about ways where we can police a community that we may not come from, we may not even live in, but view everyone in that community as humans. And so I mm-hmm. think collectively, a community can't get to be saying, hey, police are the problem. Defund all the police. All right, cool. Defund the police and then Boulder happens. Mm-hmm. What are we doing now? What are we, what are we right. doing now? Just this, just this, America's just free range. Let's let's just do uh-huh. what we do. You can't have that, you know? And so a true leader always has a balance, 
always mm. they, they don't have the luxury of an emotional reaction to a horrific act. They must say, mm. that was horrible. I noticed that I'm having a visceral reaction to this. However, if I say, fuck the police, kill all the police officers, I'm actually doing more harm than good towards my issue. Any person of color, any civil activist that was heavy on one side of an issue always trended towards the middle in every issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether you whether you talk about Martin Luther King, whether you talk about Gandhi, you talk about Malcolm X, you talk about um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, always, you know, Malcolm started a, by any necessary, kill him, do what you got to do. And now, upon his death, he was, you know what, let me come more towards nonviolence and let's work mm-hmm. with white, white people so that we can really progress uh, the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah, you have to always understand and 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 not come in the middle and compromise when you know something's wrong. You have to stand, make a hard stand on wrong is wrong. However, there's always a backstory to hate. There's mm-hmm. always a yeah. situation. If you talk about Hitler, if you talk about any any one of the the villains in our history, you can trace back to when that started. You can say, "Oh, damn! All right, Hitler, what you did was appalling. Mm-hmm. If someone would have would have appreciated him, or talked to him, or had a level of perspective change and talking, we possibly could have changed a, a horrible moment in history. You know, and so I just I, I feel. Like Boulder is another representation of a lack of understanding. And we still don't know all the details about what happened yesterday. Right. You know, in Atlanta, that is a representation of what happens when there's a lack of understanding. Every mass shooting is always the the shooter is is saying something, just like riots say something. Mm -hmm. Something is being said. The insurrectionists were saying something. It's always something. People just don't just say, you know what? I hate white people. Yeah. I hate black people. No, we're humans are are created to love. You don't even know you're mm-hmm. a black or a white person when you're born. Mm-hmm. You could look you, you look across the crib and see a white, a white guy, and I'm a black baby. We growing up as brothers. We mm-hmm. growing up as brother, like that's my brother. That's all I know, you know. And so, it's it's when mm-hmm. we we start. I look at you, you look at me, and I. There has to be a clear line of superiority, inferiority. Now we start to feel like, oh, I guess I am different. I can't mm-hmm. play with this person anymore, and that's where it had to stop. I think mm-hmm. that, yeah, I think we all we we just need to understand that we all are human. We all play roles and inequalities and inequities we all have blind spots that need to be addressed and once we do that i think we'll be so much closer and 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 dispel also too i think we need to dispel fears of losing things like oh i'm gonna lose power if someone else gets Um, power you know i'm gonna be my wife right yeah Uh, it's not like a zero-sum game exactly exactly and i just wish that we could uh you know get some better gun control 
as we recognize just how messed up our country is right now, at least, you know, have a two week waiting period between the time you want to buy the gun and get a background check. Like, and I just don't understand why, you know, background checks are 95% of the population are pro background check and we still don't have it because the people in power don't want to lose that money. But it's a freedom um, thing. It's a, it's a freedom thing. Freedom. And that's what people feel like you I don't have to wear a mask because you're 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 taking away my freedom if you tell me to. Okay. And so the gun situation is the same situation. So yeah. Well thank you for having this conversation with me today. And we want to thank Katrina again for coming on. And that was amazing to talk with her. And we have, again, links to her movie, which will hopefully be out this summer. This is not who we are. And we'll keep posting that fundraiser to to try to drive some more support there. Because having, like we're saying, these honest and conversations on the community level are really important and i really feel like this that's what this film is going to do and you know i would say for for companies to like host like show this film within your community within you know whatever that community is and be willing to have an uncomfortable conversation that sends a really strong message no matter what the outcome and people need to know how to to start showing up for the uncomfortable stuff because we're not going to change anything if we stay comfortable yes, thank you courtney i know thank it's you. a little bit of a hard topic a hard uh, somber talk today so thank you so much thank you Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.